Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. A new a new theme song for us, Shotgun. We decided to switch it up today uh, for some random reason, but uh, really digging into that Family Feud theme. Yeah, I'm digging it. I like it. I never realized how much banjo is in the theme song. I'm all about some banjo. That's not true. I like violin more, but banjo is not too far behind. It's true. But welcome to the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. We're going to be talking about, there's a lot of things that have transpired between our last podcast and this podcast, but before we get into that... Including another loss. Uh, yeah, that's one of those things, Shotgun. But as a reminder, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Send us your emails. Send them. Send them. Yeah, thanks to everyone who has been emailing us. We'll get to those a little bit later in the show. Shotgun, a lot has happened. We have been clamoring for change. Change has occurred. A loss has also occurred. USC lost to Arizona State at home, breaking the 19-game home win streak. That's over for Clay Helton and company. USC is now the Pac-12 South hope is pretty much out of it. It looks like Utah is going to take it and run with it. Yep. After they beat the crap out of UCLA. Yeah, it's true. Um, You know, then Sunday night comes. Ryan Abraham asked Clay Helton, are you going to make any significant changes? Um, Helton essentially says, no, I'm going to wait till no, I'm offseason. Gonna, I'm going to wait. I'm going to reassess after these last four games. And then we'll see once we get done with the regular season where we're at. Um, but then. Fast forward to 3 p.m. on a Monday. <laughs> randomly, this a tweet comes out from uh, from USC the USC account. So that, Why you uh, have tweet alerts. Because <laughs> if not. I did not have a tweet alert set up for that necessarily. But it just popped up on my screen. I was like, wait a is it what, what what is going on? I did a double take. I was not expecting it, and I was not expecting out of all people for things to change. Neil Callaway. I mean, uh, Clay Helton has said how much that uh, Neil is the second father to him. This is a he's essentially a family member that Helton had to to cut from the team. Helton said that he couldn't look Neil in the eye for four more weeks, knowing that this change was going to happen. So the the change Helton knew that it had to change with Neil at some point. But then the breaking point came on Monday. Okay, we got to make this change now. And then obviously, we haven't mentioned this yet, but T. Martin is no longer the play caller. Uh, he still keeps the role of, of, of offensive coordinator, but he's essentially demoted. Um, but we asked on Tunnel Vision on Sunday, can Helton make cutthroat decisions? And he apparently can, which is yeah, at he, least a positive thing for USC. Said he wasn't going to make any changes, but then he said he had a sleepless night Sunday. I don't know if Ryan's question prompted that sleepless night, uh, but uh, he, he met with Lynn Swan. And according to T, I mean, according to Clay, he went into the meeting and said, hey, these are the changes I want to make. That's uh, that's a little bit in question. I know a lot of people think that maybe Lynn Swan told him he has to make these decisions, but that's not what Clay Helton said. So instead, you know, he goes in the meeting and says, "I think I need to get rid of Neil Callaway." He said it's the toughest thing he's had to do uh, is to fire Neil Callaway, who, like we said, is like a and he's you know he told Bruce Feldman that he's like a second father to him. You know, he's like an uncle basically for him. You know, Clay uh, was recruited by Neil Callaway at Auburn. Neil Calloway was on um, Kim Helton's staff at Houston. Kim Helton was on Neil Calloway's staff at UAB. Tyson Helton played for uh, you know played when Neil Calloway was uh, at Houston. So a lot of connection there. You know he's been close with the Helton family throughout you know his coaching career. And Clay brings him in when he got the head coaching job from Western Kentucky, and it just hasn't gone you know as planned for USC. The offensive line has been a struggling uh, a struggling unit. For the last couple of years, they just have not been as physical up front as they need to be. 
And then that really came to a head, you know, in the Texas game when you have negative five yards rushing, but also in the even more so in the Utah game, I think, where they just could not run the ball at all. They didn't have the negative yardage because they didn't have as many sacks as against uh, Utah as Texas, but they just could not run the ball at all. And I asked Neil Calloway right after that, you know, when you guys haven't been so successful, you know, you know, or why haven't you been so successful? He said, well, we've had some success, which I didn't ask him to define what he meant by having success because I did not see that either. Uh, I did not see that from that unit. And he said, when I watch the tape and I see the positive and negatives, so we really didn't answer the question. And we didn't get to ask him about the office line. Office line played better against yeah. Arizona State. There were some ironic. big gapping holes at, at sometimes. Um, but when you lose the game, you know they played better. But when you lose the game, you start uh, scrutinizing areas where you've struggled not only in that game, but you know you have a two game losing streak. So now you're going back to the Utah game as well. Comes out that he, you know, Clay decided that he was going to get rid of Neil Cowboy at the end of the season. He said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't look him in the face for four more weeks, knowing that I was going to fire him at the end of the year. So he's now gone. Tim Drevno takes over that unit. He is now kind of a him and Mike Goff, who has been on the USC staff for five or six years now, was the interim offensive line coach previously when Clay Helton took over as the interim coach and fired Bob Connolly. He is going to be both of those guys are kind of tag teaming the running backs and offensive line. So basically the run game is being put together now. And the offensive line responded pretty well this week. It seemed, it seemed like they got a little bit of a pep in their step. You know, I think Tim Drevno does things a little bit different than Neil Calloway. He's a little bit more energetic, being a little bit younger guy. But he also focuses on technique a little bit more than, you know, the details of technique rather than, you know, the harping on re- redoing plays over and over, uh, which is what the offensive line does in their corner by themselves. Um, I, I think so. I think it's a little bit different and just, just having a change, I think is going to help that group out because you, when you, when you're struggling, you need something to change and something has now changed. Hopefully they uh, take that step forward. Yeah. We'll get into the specifics more of the changes we've seen at practice this week, a little bit later on, but just going over the whole Lynn Swan, Clay Helton dynamic. Um, Lynn Swan went on Trojans live, which is USC's the department's kind of program that they do weekly. Uh, Lin Swan was in Texas, called in. He didn't have to, but he basically gave... Lin Swan wanted to call in. I know, which is interesting, which is interesting. This was not like them reaching out like, Lin, hey, would you like to come on the show? It was Lin Swan like, I'm going to go on the show. No, yeah. So when you look at that, you take that motive and you take it what Lin Swan said. He basically gave a vote of confidence to Clay Helton and essentially told the Trojan family to sit tight. Like, this is what, if you're family, you sit tight and you, you go through these times, but... I just think it was just interesting comments. I don't understand why you need to come out and do that four games with four games left in the season. You like Dan Weber has been saying all week long, you this is a turning point. USC could wind up four and eight. They could wind up eight and four, somewhere in between. Um, I understand that Lynn Swan was probably trying to control the narrative a little bit. I think it got a little bit out of hand from their perspective after a second loss. Um but I think I I don't know I don't I I thought it was a little weird especially after coming out out of the coaching changes that happened on a Monday Lynn Swan meets with Clay Helton on Monday it's just I think we're in the part of the season and sometimes when coaching drama happens you can't really take everything for face value yeah so there was more to this but he came out and basically said that you know I have confidence in Clay Helton he's going to turn things around. He didn't say, you know, he gave a vote of confidence. He didn't necessarily say that Clay Helton would be back next year, which is what we kind of expected from what we've been hearing would be said in the the yeah. uh, conversation. But he said he has confidence in Clay Helton. He expects him to be, you know, he expects him to turn things around. He said that he's keen on continuity 
Lynn Swan said this, these Keenum continuities said you can't uh, keep firing a coach over and over type of thing. He said you, you have to, you know, if you do that, you're basically starting over again. Some people want them to start over again, but he feels that you know you can't you know it's been basically like a two or three year pattern for USC um, since Pete Carroll left that you know that they fired a coach you know within three years I believe of, of each of them so far. So he doesn't want that to be the case with Clay Helton. So they're at least gonna you know he's going through the end of the season with uh, the vote of confidence from Lynn Swan, which I didn't understand why you would come out and say well when when we first heard that you know maybe he'd be saying that oh Clay Helton's gonna be back next year. I didn't understand it. Didn't make any sense to me because why would you do that? And then if you you know somehow you lose by thirty points to uh, the next in the next four games in each of those games like. No, of course you're not coming back after that. So why would you go out and say, yeah, they're definitely going to come back? So I think this was good for him, just kind of hedging the bets, not saying necessarily that, but giving that vote of confidence to Clay Hilton. They want it to be known that you know he's the guy. Um, so I think Lin Swan did as much as he could there, but some of the the way he said some things were kind of baffling, like you know, telling you know if you're part of the Trojan family, you should cheer us on type of thing. Like, that really rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know <laughs> if that's weird. It was just like, and I'm not like I don't I'm media, but it made me upset. I was like, why? Like, why out of all the people who should like put up or shut up, it's the fans right now. Like, I feel like if you're paying money, if you're spending your Saturdays and your your time investing in this team, you should want a good product, and it hasn't been a good product lately. So why why is the impetus on the fans? Like. I I just it didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I I didn't think that you should put that on the fans. Like, well, you guys should be more positive, and like that. That's no. That's kind of the message that was sent. Is like, no, no, we're spending money to go to these games. We want a great product. So why are you not producing that great product? But uh, you know, we'll see how these changes that were made on the coaching staff how that affects the team. Um, I think they're going to come out and blow out Oregon State. I mean, that's what the prediction I made on our live show. Uh, we'll see if Spoiler it actually alert. happens. We'll see if it actually happens. Uh, you know, they haven't blown out anyone in ages. It feels like. I don't. When's the last? I was about to say. What would you Arizona consider? State last year? I guess, but that yeah. wasn't even a full blowout. It was like a twenty points. Has there been a, cl- a blowout in the Clay Hilton era? Oregon State last year they blew out pretty did, good. They, I don't think they did. I that mean, was they closer than it needed they, to be. Uh, well, that's true, but that's because like Oregon State had like basically handed USC the ball and like couple couple turnovers, I believe. Well, Oregon State was awful. They were one of the worst Power Five teams True. in recent history last year. Their coach quit like, in the middle of the season, so they should have blown them out much more than they did. But I think it was still technically a blowout. I'm gonna look up the scores from last year. Yeah, but. I'm looking up right now. I I just remember Ryan and I saying last year, like if it was any other team, USC would have lost. So who knows? To Oregon State? Yeah, oh, last year. I mean, they beat Western Michigan by 18. That game was close. Stanford, the 42-24 to Stanford, that's kind of a blowout with them, that first game. Uh, Kind of. Kind we'll of. see, we'll see. But as far as thirty-eight ten, Oregon State last year. That's so, what I'm saying. That's not a blowout. That's yeah, not a only blowout. beating them by twenty-eight is not a blowout with that team. It's a, yeah, no, not at all. Forty-eight seventeen against Arizona State last year. I would say that's the only the only true blowout they've had under Clay Helton. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that maybe this could be the. I know we've talked about a lot, like what's going to be the Arizona State game. I think this could be the Arizona State game. Oregon State is a good week to make changes because Oregon State you can take care of if you take if you go up there and you take care of it in the beginning. You can you can be this team, but the thing is, I've said this all the time. USC should handle everyone on paper, yeah. but when it comes to the game time, it's just a whole different story, you know. So I'm I've predicted a semi blowout lo- uh, win. USC takes care of Oregon State, but even when I say that, there's part of my mind that's like, eh. 
Well, there, yeah, there's always a part of your mind that says that with this USC team because Very they just true. haven't done the things that you would expect out of um, from the talented players they have. You know, with the collection of talent they have, you would expect them to do more than what they have done so far. They have underachieved, no doubt, with the the collection of players they have. Uh, granted, you have a freshman quarterback. You've had some really bad injuries. You know, you had to pl- play your third string quarterback last game. You had no defensive captains uh, on the field. You know, th- those things are, are a big parts of why they lost that game last week. You know, I think if they lost by three points. I think the collection of Porter Gustin, Cam Smith, and uh, Marvell Tell, the third, are uh, worth three points. So they would have it would have at least been tied. They would have won that game if all three of those guys played. When you said this on Sunday um, after the game, I was like ready to roast you. I was like, boy, but <laughs> <laughs> but after rewatch, I semi agree with you. I think not having Cam Smith and and Marvell Tell that duo missing those guys was had a big impact yeah some of those big runs that you saw those were run fits you know you you hear that saying what exactly does that mean basically going up to the line of scrimmage every line uh, defensive lineman and linebacker has a certain area where they should be so if the play comes into your area you're the one that makes a play Pali and Naitiote got out of his gap a couple times. There were a couple times where the safety probably could have come over, or a couple times where, you know, a bigger safety, Marvell Tell versus Ajene Harris, because Ajene Harris moves back and, you know, it's a very tough move for him to make. But just having a more physical player there would have made a tackle maybe behind the line of scrimmage. And there, you know, a lot of things could have been different in that game, which, you know, I think would be worth three points if you have those three guys. And that's not even even just those two guys who will put Augustine out for the year and didn't necessarily look at the pass rush. Pass rush was okay in this game, but you know, it just seemed that the defense was playing with, uh, was wounded for sure. Yeah. I mean, you lose uh, during the game, you lose Levi Jones, so you lose another option there. You know, Jordan Isefa moves to middle linebacker in the second half, and they you know they corrected some of those uh, gap issues there. Um, but you know, now you're playing with Kanaya Malga. You know, he played his most snaps in, in his career on, on the, in that game. So now you're playing with him. You didn't have Hunter Eccles. You didn't have Raymond Scott. Both those guys uh, were, were not uh, available for this game. You had some injuries. You had apparently some suspensions with those two guys um so uh you you were down a lot of uh, people on the defensive side and i think it had an effect now they still could have won that game easily and that's what made me frustrated you on sunday it's like (laughs) sure like this was a game where the talent on the field tried as hard as they could jack sears did a great job trying to win the game for ufc as a third string quarterback having no real significant playing time and going out there and yet coaching decisions lost this game and that that's the thing. Why don't you take the points? Fourth and one. I, I don't understand that one. I either. still stand by my decision. You take the points. I don't understand why you don't do that. It just it doesn't make sense. So the only thing before we get into stock up, stock down that we haven't talked about, uh, T. Martin is no longer calling plays. Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of talk about maybe Clay Elton had more of a hand in it than we think. Maybe it's a red herring. I know Jordan Martinez says that. Uh, how much do you think the di- Clay Helton taking over plays will make a difference? I think it's a change. I don't think that it's something that was going on. I know there was reports that, oh, Clay Helton's made No, he wasn't. He wasn't calling the plays. I've looked at him on the sideline to see if he was calling the plays. He wasn't calling the plays. Now, he might have had input, like, hey, we need to run the ball here. Hey, what, which is what you expect out of your head coach. Your head coach should be making some decisions like that. But he wasn't, you know, he didn't have the play sheet out going, all right, we're running – you know, trips wide left, uh, see banana slug, whatever. Yeah, uh, the UC sent him. 
Santa Cruz. Uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. Banana slugs. Banana slugs. Um, so whatever you know, the play call is there, he's not doing that. He, he was not doing that. Now he will be. So we'll see. T. Martin's still going to be involved in the in the uh, game planning and stuff like that as far as an offensive coach. He's going to do those type of things, but he's not going to be the game day play caller. Um, so uh, we'll see how different it is. You know, there were all all the question has always been the last couple of years is how much is T. Martin calling the plays? Clay said that you know T was calling ninety five percent of the plays this season. Last year with Tyson Helton, there was a little bit of he didn't really give an answer on that one. <laughs> uh, he kind of uh, worded himself around that one, where you know it seemed like Tyson was calling the third down plays, maybe the red zone, and T was I mean uh, Clay was calling the red zone plays. That's what we had heard. So don't know how true all that was. Um, so it it'll be different. And you know, I, I think you'll see some different types of plays this with uh, T Mar- with I keep saying T Martin with Clay Helton <laughs> calling the plays with T Martin now uh, demoted a bit. So we'll see how it plays out uh, and you know how how USC play, calls plays this game and who are they going to really focus on? I would like to see a similar game plan that they gave to Jack Sears, yes. given to JT Daniels this week because I thought they simplified some things. I thought they made it more simple on Jack Sears so they didn't have to do as much. Whereas sometimes this season with JT Daniels, it seems like they've just given him a full, you know, what you would give to a, you know, if Sam Darnold, there was the same game plan that they were giving to Sam Darnold last year, or, you know, if Sam Darnold was there this year, not taking into effect that it's a, you know, a guy making his first couple starts as a, as a collegian. Um, so I think that if they give a Jack Sears game plan to JT Daniels, he'll be much more successful this week as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm all for that as well. As far as T. Martin and his future at USC, um, I noticed in the morning on Tuesday, or I think Monday, that T. had essentially scrubbed all his USC stuff from Twitter. Um, Shotgun with the assist tweeted it out. Um, and T. was asked about it, and he said, I uh, just wanted to put my family on, on Twitter. Very PC answer. And then uh, when asked if he would like to be back next season, he just simply said, I love USC. So it seems like the writing is on the wall a little bit, uh, that he won't be back. It's crazy, though. We don't know. But T. Martin is kind of an institution at USC as far as wide receivers and recruiting goes. So how that impacts USC going forward is really interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, he and Clay Helton have basically grown together here, uh, you know, at USC. So, you know, it's going to be tough for, you know, for those guys to separate as well. But Clay's already shown that he will make the tough decision, fire on Neil Calloway. So he demotes T. Martin as well. I think when you have an offensive coordinator and you get demoted, you're not, you're almost, I would say 98%, you're not coming back to that school the next season if you get an in season demotion. So uh, I think that T. Martin is likely to be gone, but we'll see how it plays out. You know, we'll see, you know, USC needs him for his recruiting prowess as well, especially with some of the other guys on the staff that don't like to recruit. He makes up for some of those guys. So we'll see how they balance that, how Clay figures that part out. Right now, Mike Goff is the interim 10th coach. We'll see where they go to try to fill the vacancies that they'll have at the end of the season. That's something that Clay said he'll wait till the end of the season to do, but he also said that last week. So who knows? <laughs> Who knows, indeed. All right, let's go to Stock Up. First up, it's kind of an honorable mention. It should be Stock Neutral, given the... There's no such thing as Stock Neutral. I did mention last week. I had to mention it this week, and for a rightful reason. Talanoa Hufunga, uh, he has done great stepping in as a true freshman, getting thrown in at the safety position. He played like a beast on on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a three-straight-play that he just was all up in it. He needed to play in the backfield. I think he broke a, broke up a pass mm-hmm. and then made another play in the backfield. Um, that was in the fourth quarter. Just 
great effort. He he has a bright future at USC, but then he breaks his collarbone on like the last play, the last defensive snap, last or before the kneel down, yeah, yeah, before the kneel downs. Um, and it's and, and it's so unfortunate because it's right before he goes back home to Corvallis, Oregon. I did manage to talk to him. I saw him yesterday uh, after practice. He is going to Corvallis, so they're they're nice letting him. I know it's, they're letting him go on the trip, which is nice because if you're gonna go home, go home. Um, so yeah, Porter Gustin gets hurt right before they go back right? to Utah. I mean, it's tough. It's been tough to be a, a an out of state uh, player going back to your hometown the the weekend before. Yeah, so um, a sad stock up for Hufunga. He played a good game. Why would that be stock neutral, though? Because he's out for the season. Wow, that's not stock neutral. That's, it's that's a unfortunate. negative and a positive. Oh my, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I've got uh, Iman Marshall. I thought he played really well in this yeah. game. When he was matched up against Nikhil Harry, Nikhil Harry, I think, had one catch, maybe two. Um, one dramatic uh, contorting his body to make a one-handed catch. That's what it took to for him to beat Iman Marshall in this game. You know, the rest of Nikhil Harry's production came when Iman Marshall was not matched up against him. I think he made himself some money with that game because Nikhil Harry is going to be a first or second round draft pick this uh, this upcoming year. So I think Iman Marshall had a really good game. Um, he and he started USC began the game with you know just him staying on his side, but then they started shadowing uh, Iman Marshall on Nikhil Harry more and more. Even when Nikhil Harry was in the slot, you would see Iman Marshall come in the slot. Jonathan Lockett would push out to the outside on some plays. So I think that they. You know, giving him that um, that that opportunity to go up against him, but also giving him that task. That's a tough task to to take on. And, and Iman did a really good job. Biggie had a great performance in that game. Had a really nice breakup down inside the twenty yard line on a pass play where he just it was absolutely perfect form. Didn't have his hands on uh, Nikhil Harry or anything, but he puts his hand right in between uh, the ball and uh, where Nikhil Harry would be pulling the ball into his chest. And he knocks it away. That was a really great play there. He had a really good game. So I got Iman Marshall on the stock up definitely. Completely agree with that one. I had Jack Sears stock up um, playing his first game. I already mentioned this. Playing his first game as third string quarterback, uh, he did enough to win the game for USC. Um, and he, as he said at the uh, after the game in his little media scrum, he he proved that he can play at this level. And whether that's at USC, whether that's after he graduates and maybe transfers, uh, Jack Sears proved that he can be he can be a quarterback for a team. Yeah, I have him at the bottom of my stock up because I figured you were going to say him too. So <laughs> I have other guys on here. But yeah, Jack Sears played great. I thought once he had that 22-yard scramble uh, to start the two-minute drill, he really settled in. They, you know, the the stuff they were doing, rolling him out and doing different things, I thought he, he started playing better. He stopped getting antsy in the pocket, which he was early in the game. He was yeah. you know looking at his first read and then getting scared about the rush even when he didn't have to. But he settled in, which is what you expect out of a first-time starter. There's going to be some nerves early in the game. He settled in. He told the receivers, I talked to Tyler Vons. Tyler Vons is like, he came and told us, he's like, all right, I got that out of my system. I'm ready to go now. And he's, he did start playing much better in the second half and that, that that last drive of the first half. Michael Pittman, I mean, this guy has been incredible for USC the last three games. USC's one and two without him. You know, they might be 0 and three. He has been phenomenal for them. The last three games, 16 catches, 352 yards, five touchdowns. He didn't go over 100 yards this game. He, he ended up at six catches, 90 yards, but two touchdowns. You know, the the trick play where they toss the ball to Tyler Vons. Tyler Vons makes a you know throw to, to Michael Pittman, and you know he makes a contested catch. And that was a really good throw, the placement of it. But that's a contested catch when you know a trick play. A lot of times you hope to have a guy wide open. Didn't and necessarily. He, and he happen. faked out the DB. The DB didn't know the ball was coming towards Pittman at that point. He, oh, really? he did a good job not tipping the play, which was good. Yeah. So Pittman, uh, you know, he's been phenomenal the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, he has led USC in receiving the last three games, I believe. Um, so he's averaging more than 100 yards. Last 
last three games and five touchdowns is really big. USC's needed that big play threat, and he's overtaken uh, Amon uh, Ross St. Brown as the leading receiver as well. Um, I'm not sure if that was this week or last week, but you know he's showing himself, and you know he want he's a guy that probably wants to leave after this year, and he's showing that he's a big time playmaker for, for sure. Uh, I had stock up for Tim Drevno. Um, I think moving over to his natural position as O-line coach, um, watching him this week, he just seems really at home and at ease at at that position group um, versus maybe with the running backs. Uh, You know, he when when he was added onto the staff as the running backs coach, it kind of was the natural progression that eventually he'll move over to O-line coach. So seeing that actually happen, um, I think it's good for him. I think it was really interesting seeing the differences between him and Neil Calloway. Uh, definitely less sled drills, less like physical uh, uh, exertion. I think he's really uh, worried about their hand placement, their their footwork, and really just more hands-on. And I think, as you said earlier, the, the players responded well to that. So I think having a change at that position is good. Having Tim Drevno there is good. And so I think stock up for that whole situation. I got Jonathan Lockett on stock up as well. 53 total snaps coming into this game. You know, a former starter at that nickelback spot uh, two years ago. He had 57 snaps in this game. You know, he took over that nickelback role. Jenny Harris moves to safety. That looks like it's going to be the permanent replacement now because Marvel Tell was out this game, so that's why they made the, the change. But now Talanoa Hufunga, as you, you spoke of, is injured. He is done for the year, basically. Um, so... Jenny Harris moves back to safety. That's what we've seen in practice this week. C.J. Pollard's still there as well as a safety option. Uh, and he played well in his limited snaps. He only played four or five snaps, but he did a really good job you know, on some um, run blitzes and stuff as well. Um, so he's still an option for him. But Jonathan Lockett, I think they have more con- – the, the question comes down to uh, – Jenny Harris is going to be on the field regardless. The question comes down to do you have more confidence in Jonathan Lockett playing the nickel spot or C.J. Pollard playing the safety spot? And the answer for USC is Jonathan Lockett in the nickel. Fifth-year senior, getting his opportunity now. He played pretty good in this game as well i uh, didn't really hear his name called much so that's usually a good thing for a nickelback um so i thought he played pretty well and he's on my stock up too now he's getting inserted into the stock into the starting lineup yeah it's always nice seeing guys who've been there for a while finally get their shot um so good for jonathan lockett that's all i have for stock up i got elijah winston as well he made his debut in this game the freshman i talked to john baxter a little bit yesterday about you know how he's using the red shirt rule with special teams because now a guy like elijah winston would not have played last year you're not going to bring a guy in and burn his red shirt at this point of the year, but now this year you can play guys for four games. So I talked about uh, you know a little bit about Elijah Winston in particular, but just kind of how he uses the position. But he, he talked about Elijah Winston and said that's a guy who's you know has you know improved throughout the season, and you know they don't really have a scout team for special teams. They just kind of go and play is how John Baxter described it. And he said that guy's beating the starters, you know, uh, on the you know on the the scout team ish. Um, so he said that's a guy that worked his way up, and now we insert him in the game. Well, use him and use his four games and so he's uh, improved as the season's going on and yesterday he, he was in the one-on-one drills he absolutely blew up Liam Douglas put him on his butt uh you know in their one-on-one pass rush drills going around him got the entire defense fired up that was over there and stuff so uh, I think he's a guy that's that you're seeing improvements as the season progresses which what you're looking for from freshmen already stocked down who you got, Shocker? I mean, the easy ones, Neil Calloway and T. Martin, right? I mean, both of those, you get fired and you get demoted. You know, those, those guys are definitely stocked down. Um, so we'll see how the, the offense responds to this. I mean, those guys individually are stocked down. But I, I think with T. Martin, the receivers, you know, are excited about him being there and being more focused on them. And I think maybe you'll even see the uh, the receivers play a little bit better. You know, you'll do a little bit better in their blocking and stuff. That was a focus when T. Martin was the receiver's coach, but hasn't necessarily been the same uh, since he moved to offense coordinator. We'll see. 
Uh, I had stock down on tackling. I think this is another game for USC defensively where their tackling suffered. And I think it really changed um, the landscape of some of the drives that Arizona State had. Um, there was there was one play where it could have been a third and one. Instead, they get a, a first down. And you're not going to punt on your own 30. You know, you're, you're not going to go for it on your own 30, so you're going to punt. And so that things where someone would make contact, but then Eno would would – you know, spin out of it and credit to him too. That's, that's his strength. But you know, that's the second time we've seen it. Uh, we saw it at Utah. We saw it now, uh, against Arizona state. And I just think it, it it's, it's starting to de- regress their, their tackling skills and their fundamentals. And that's something that Helton said that he does want them to focus on the last four weeks. Um, and granted when you have a Jana Harris, who is a, a natural nickel, he's not going to be the same type of tackler that Marvell tell who's six, four is going to tackle. But, I just I definitely think that wrapping up has not been an area of success for this team, and I think it really changes the course of drives. Yeah, Ajene Harris has to tackle more with his body because he's a smaller guy, whereas Marvell Tell has really long arms. He can tackle; he's stronger. He can tackle with his arms more. So you saw that on a couple of plays where Ajene Harris comes in the normal safety spot. He's filling a run gap, and he gets into the backfield even, and he just can't bring down a running back with, with only the arm tackle. Whereas normally when he's in space on a screen or something like that, he can you know attack with his full body to tackle guys. So you saw that a little bit, which is why I got captainship on Stockdown. Mm-hmm. You imagine the tackling would be much better if you have your surest tackler and Cam Smith on the field and also having Marvell Tell there rather than you know having two nickelbacks on the field at the same time. So and the captains, you know, they have three defense captains, all three of them were out for the game. They're hoping that Cameron it looks like Cameron Smith will be back. It looks like Marvell Tell will be back. Both those guys practice this week. Obviously, Porter Gustin done for the season. But having three captains uh on the defensive side and all three of them missing a game, that's gonna hurt your defense. Uh, so having those guys back will be a big boost for them. But I had stock down on the captainship. Uh, and Jenny Harris actually took the spot of uh, a Porter Gustin with the with the captains walking out before the game. So uh, good to, good for him to, to earn that C on his chest as well. Yeah, I had stock down on Palaie Naotoote. Um, he was actually benched in the second half. That we asked Clancy Pendergast about like why did we see Jordan Isefa in that role. Um, and he said that Pellier couldn't maintain gap, gap control. And I didn't notice it during the game, but when you watch it on rewatch, mm-hmm. there were times where he just, he'd go inside and then uh, the play would later develop a couple seconds later and they would run right where Pellier was supposed to be. You know, that's something that uh, Clancy Pendergast said on Wednesday was uncharacteristic of Pellier. That's something that he, uh, Clancy trusts Pellier to do at this point of his young career, but he said it was a very un- uncharacteristic game for him. And that's why they had to make those switches. But, uh, so stock down for Pellier. He's an aggressive player. He's going to attack plays in, in different ways than maybe Cam Smith does. Uh, but you, you, when when you're playing a team like Arizona State with a running back like Eno Benjamin who can make a guy miss, you can break a tackle uh, behind the line of scrimmage. You have to stay in your gap. You have to be uh, you know gap sound in that re- uh, regard, or else you're going to give up some big plays. You know, similar to what Bryce Love does for Stanford, he can break a tackle in the backfield or you know at the line of scrimmage. And then if you're not sound in your uh, gaps, then there's an opening. He can take you know take advantage of it, and that's what you know Benjamin did in this game, running for you know what for. Uh, 185 yards on 29 carries. Uh, so you give him credit for for being good, but Pallier, you had a, had a bad game. The, what I didn't understand, mini rant here is like this week asking Clancy Pendergast, like, well, is Pallier going to play a different position now that Cam Smith's back? 
No, I just benched him for the second half. So am I going to move him into a starting role somewhere else? No, that doesn't make any sense. I got to feel like people weren't paying attention to why he was out. Um, I mean, I asked Pally, I was like, why did you, you know, and he said, you have to ask the coaches, you know, basically he got benched for it, um, which you didn't know for sure because I was checking on the sidelines. Is he injured? Because I was looking because he wasn't on the field. I was looking for him there and it seemed like he was ready to go. He actually played one snap in the second half. They gave him the final snap of the third quarter. There was a, you know, the drive started for Arizona State with one play before the end of the half, so they gave Jordan ISF a little bit more rest on that. But I thought ISF did a did a good job, you know, going in there. That's not his natural position this season. They moved him back to that spot, but that shows his versatility there. But also gives a a boost to Kanai Malga. You know, he's the guy that it was basically they decided can we leave Palia there or, or or you know who do we have more confidence in this game, Malga or uh, Natiote? And they gave the nod to, to Malga in the second half. So uh, that shows that he's also another freshman that is improving this season as well i had my last stock down i had chuma adoga and maybe slash health um because you know the usc defense has been beat up uh the quarterbacks obviously beat up but chuma adoga this was the now granted a couple of the early games were because they were given some some extra playing time to clayton bradley um but this was the fifth game where he did not play the full complement of snaps he left before the the first uh in the final drive of the first half um, you know, and you could see he's kind of hobbling back to the line. They're trying to snap to spike the ball, and he's like, you know, they're like yelling at him to hurry up to get back to the line because you know his knee was bothering him. You know, he had his right knee examined. He ended up deciding to go with Jalil McKenzie. Jalil McKenzie did uh, pretty good in there, uh, but Chuma Doga is their, um, you know, the best NFL prospect on that line. You know, he's the most athletically talented guy. They need him to be healthy and and you know go and get mad and be beast mode on somebody because when he gets his hands on people and he gets mad. He can be a, a you know a super talented offensive lineman, but he's got to get healthy first. Yeah. Um, honorary mention: Hold your breath, shotgun slash stock <gasps> neutral. No. <laughs> I said hold your breath, shotgun. I'm not hold my breath. Uh, for UC special teams, you know, I thought that Reed Butteridge had a pretty good game. He was able to pin Nikhil Harry for the most part. Um, and I thought Tyler Vaughn's having his first uh, touchdown return, uh, punt return for a touchdown was pretty good. But then, of course, you had that return, which is not the best. Uh, granted, you had uh, Christian Rector. You had He was out, and you had uh, Eric Crumhook in for him. And that you kind of saw that breakdown on the return uh, for Nikhil Harry. Yeah, Eric Crumhook went to attack the blocker rather than going for the tackle. It didn't really make sense when you rewatch it. You know, Now, that is the position he was filling in for Christian Rector. They took Christian Rector off some special teams because you know he was – He's playing almost every single defensive snap. I'll, I'll look here in just a second when when you start talking about something. But I think he played all but one <laughs> defensive snap this game. He was you know he was all over the place for them. Um, so they took him off some special teams. But and when you have guys like your your other two blockers are Austin Jackson and, and Elijah Vera Tucker. Those guys usually aren't going to tackle anyone. So having a defensive lineman there that helps with in that regard, I guess. With so so those are the three blockers in front of the the punt uh, the punter on the thing. So you know those three guys are usually not the ones you want to make a tackle because that means you're, you're in danger there. But Greg Johnson lets Nikhil Harry get outside. Now this leads me into my my first uh, you know hurt on the sidelines. So great transition, Chuck. Yeah, like exactly. You meant to do that, right? Exactly. Sure, exactly. Sure. So actually, I was on the Arizona State sideline for that play, and I get it. I actually have a picture. Nikhil Harry almost dropped that ball. Like he, he, you know, one of his fingertips is like extended backwards where the ball hits. You know, he catches it on the very tip of his fingertips. Um, so, but before the play, someone on their sideline, one of the coaching staff, yells. 
10, 10, get them to the 10-yard line. And Nikhil Harry's like, he's like shaking his head. He's like, no, no, seven, seven. And he catches the ball on the eight-yard line. So if he was on the 10, maybe he was going backwards. You know, he may not be able to get his momentum or whatever it may be on that play. But you just hear Nikhil Harry, and Nikhil Harry overrules the coach on the sidelines. Like, no, coach, I got it, seven-yard line. Uh, and he catches the ball, and he gets outside on the other side and takes it up the sideline. A couple really nice blocks there. USC did not do a good job of containing there with Greg Johnson and, and uh, Vivai Malapai. Those two are the two outside guys who have to stay outside. And Eric Roman Hook didn't do a good job. Also, Austin Jackson had a chance where if he just shoved the one of the blockers into Nikhil Harry, it probably knocks him out of bounds. But you know, you're an offensive lineman; you're not used to going and running downfield trying to tackle somebody. USC, like you said, with the special teams, they tried to kick the ball away from Harry. They did some directional punting and stuff. That's what they did on that play. It worked really well earlier in the game. Nikhil Harry, I don't, I couldn't see exactly what he did before the game. I mean, before that play, but he did enough to get over to it. Almost dropped it, but catches it and takes it to the house. Ends up being the uh, crucial game-winning uh, touchdown. Because it puts them ahead. Debatable, but yes. Also, game winning means you it put when you yes, go ahead. Okay, in yes, the game. okay, okay, yes. Also, uh, that catch that he made was unreal against Emo Marshall. Yeah, yes, fantastic. Unreal. It was r- ridiculous. Uh, for her on the sideline, I a lot of people were wondering: are there are there any differences in in practice that we're seeing this week? Um, one notable difference that I've actually talked about on this podcast is. They actually made during scout team a play didn't go right and they made them do it again, which sounds simple and like should they already be doing this? But they're doing it now. I've seen them do it a little bit in the past. Mm, but this okay, but the difference was the attitude because you know Velas, uh, it was screen pass to Velas. Velas was kind of going through the motions and Dominique Davis comes up and just pops the ball out um, and just Velas fumbles the ball and so you heard a coach go, "We're doing it again. We're doing it again, Velas. You're doing it again." So they did it again and Velas made the play, made the catch, and and it was a better showing. Um, so I think having that a little bit of in- energy and, and trying to make sure you're getting it right, not just going through the motions, is at least a good improvement. Yeah, and that's a great transition again. Great job, Keely. Uh, it's like we almost make a rundown. We don't. So We don't. Uh, speaking of Valus Jones, uh, the Chucky doll. We finally found out what the Chucky doll stands for. So if you haven't noticed, there's been some pictures of, uh, of, of Velas Jones when he gets off the plane, I think in Utah. You know, he's carrying around the Chucky doll from the Child's Play movie series, the film series. Um, and he knew the character's name and everything, Charles Lee Ray or something. I don't, uh, I, I wrote it in my story on Velas Jones, but, um, so he, you know, he was all about it. He knew it. And the reason why he carries around the Chucky doll is because the wide receiver's motto, I guess, their creed is to stay dangerous. Um, so, you know, so that's what they break down their huddles on, their position huddles and stuff. And Velas said, you know, I got to be like, the, I got to be like Chucky. I got to stay dangerous. So he carries around the Chucky doll. And he said, he's, this is my little, my little sidekick for Halloween and stuff too. But it's not just been Halloween. It's something he's had all season long. Um, and congratulations to Velas because he stayed dangerous and got his first touchdown. Um, first career touchdown. I know he's, he's been one. He's been, it's really meant a lot to him to get that one because he's come so close this season. He got tackled on the three yard line, he got tackled on the two yard line. Keeley's messing with fidget spinners and tossing them all over the place. Oh, Who no. knows what's going on in this in this uh, in this studio right now? But Valus Jones uh, gets his touchdown there, and it's one that, that meant a lot to him, but it also meant a lot to his teammates. I mean, Tyler Vaughn's Tyler Vaughn's threw for a touchdown, had a punt return for a touchdown, caught a touchdown, three touchdown performance. We didn't even mention him yet. Oh, true, he should have been on stock up. My bad. Yeah, Tyler. but he also did drop the true. potential touchdown. True. So that's why he just stays unchanged. Classic stock nature. No, situation. he stays unchanged. <laughs> Anyways, he had three touchdowns in this game, uh, and he said, you know, I asked him about Velas because they're good friends. He said, that made my day right there. 
Of all the Aww. things that happened in the game, he said that made my day. And Michael Pittman, you know, was excited for him as well. You know, there's a lot of guys that ran and were you know super excited in the end zone with him. So it's good to see Velas Jones get in, especially after he's helped create some other touchdowns by getting down inside the five yard line but not getting in himself. For sure, my favorite part is that when you asked him, he kind of didn't know what to say about the Chucky doll. He's like, "Well, the motto is stay dangerous and Chucky." Uh, He's a dangerous doll. <laughs> There's a long pause where he was trying to figure out how to connect the two, but I thought it was funny. The other thing I had for her on the sideline, my last thing, uh, was Drevno uh, was asked on Tuesday, what changes would you make to uh, the offensive line? What have you seen? He didn't want to go into the past. He didn't want to. He was like, we're starting fresh. We're looking forward. But he said, if you watch me, uh, on Wednesday, I'll make changes and you'll see what I do. And one of the changes that I saw was that he made uh, all three centers, uh, Justin Dietrich, uh Brett Nealon, and Tolobanon, stay after practice and do some extra snapping and and almost like a conditioning portion of snapping. And so I thought that was interesting because uh, Tolobanon has took it upon himself to do some snapping after practice, but you haven't seen all three snapping and working on that after practice. So I thought it was an interesting development. And Toa. Toa was actually here. He was a freshman playing for Tim Drevno when Drevno was the offensive line coach in 2014, I believe it was. Yeah, I'm terrible with the years, but uh, and he said that you know he I asked him about the the different snapping and you know how's it you know does it change this week with Tim Drevno? He said we've actually been talking about it. We always talk time to time because he was my coach as a freshman. So those two guys are really close. Um, you know, I actually had it on my head on the sideline that Toa said in this game said when I talked to him on Tuesday, he's like. I don't want to jinx it, but I think this could be a perfect snapping game. Now, he struggled in the last game. There were snaps all over the place, and Jack Sears did a really nice job of you know, being able to kind of field all the, the snaps that were in the different quadrants, as we say, and you had the, uh, the gif of all of them you know, kind of posted together so you can see that they were kind of there was not a lot of snaps straight to them there was not a lot of consistency with the snaps. Yeah, if you want to go on the Peristyle, I posted it on the VIP board uh, about uh, – I put together every at the point where Jack Sears caught the ball. I took a, a screenshot and I put it all together in a gift so you could just see the inconsistency and where where the ball was all around in the in the strike zone. And Toa, to his credit, says I think this could be a perfect one. So I think he's got a little bit more confidence with, with Tim Drevno being the coach. I think that you know I think he's getting more comfortable with that that whatever you call it dead ball grip uh, grabbing the gripping the ball at the top uh, of the. The sphere rather than, you know, the spherical cone rather than in the middle on the laces and stuff. So um, I, I think he's getting more comfortable with that. And hopefully you'll see that the USC improves in that area this week. To be fair, though, when I interviewed him earlier in the season, he said he'd get it fixed the next game. So we'll but see. But he said perfect. No, but we'll perfect, see. Perfect. We'll see. Do you have anything else for heard on the sideline? No. Moving on to agree, disagree. What you got? Jack Sears should be the starter for the rest of the season. Disagree. Uh, I think JT Daniels has earned the right to start. You know, he won the job in fall camp. You know, I don't think his injury precludes him from starting this week. I think he comes back. If you give him the same game plan that you gave Jack Sears, I think there's more success there. I, I think they asked him to do a little bit too much, uh, too quickly. Whereas Jack Sears are like, all right, we're going to scrap the original game plan. We're going to basically simplify everything, and we'll go from there. And you know, they had success with it. I think you start with that, and you build some more things into it. Now, if JT struggles, if he throws three interceptions in the first half, then maybe at halftime you make that change to Jack Sears because I saw his confidence grow throughout that game, and I think he would be, you know, he could come in and make a difference in a game. But then, then you would have a big controversy. But right now, I think it's JT Daniels. Well, we're just telepathy right now with our transitions 
My next agree disagree is if JT struggles against Oregon State, Helton will put in Jack Sears. Helton will put in Jack Sears. Or should Ooh. should or will should yes, I would agree with that. Will he though? That's the that's the more debatable agree disagree. I yeah. don't think he will. I think they would suffer through, but I don't think it's suffer happen. through. Really? Yeah. I, after the changes he's made, and he knows that he. No, I don't think it's going to happen. That he's going to struggle. Oh, okay. I thought you Oregon said. State. I thought you said that. Helton wouldn't do it. And I was like, you never know. No, I don't think he would. Is I think they would struggle through. But I don't think they're going to struggle to struggle through. Okay, touche. So in that sense, do you think it is desperate times for USC football right now? In what regard would you say desperate? That's Meaning like Clay Helton knows that he needs to win these games. Well, yeah, but every but coach knows they need to win every game. Okay, sure, if we want to get esoteric. But I'm just saying like... I don't even know Esso. <laughs> I know Eno, but not Esso. <laughs> Um, meaning if Clay Helton could put in Jack Sears in a relative amount of time if JT struggles, because it's like you got to win at all costs. Granted, he did say that before ASU and they didn't win. So what is all costs? I also had a teammate named Tarek too. So so anyways, uh, I don't think it's, I mean, I think that he's coaching for his coaching life in that regard. And I think that's why you saw the changes, because he knows that he's coaching for his coaching life. So he might be more quick to do things that way, but I think he's going to live and die with JT Daniels. Makes sense. USC will be 3-1 and one in November. Hmm. Yeah. Probably. Really? Probably 3-1. and one. Really? You don't think they're going to be 3-1? and one? I think 2-2. Two and two. What? Who are they going to lose to? I don't know, but this team. This I think team. they can blow out Oregon State. I think the Cal losing streak continues for the Golden Bears. I think they beat UCLA, maybe a little bit closer than it should be, and then they lose to Notre Dame. But I think they could even beat Notre Dame if they. I've said it all along. If the offensive line gets fixed, and what just happened? They changed the offensive line coach, so now I got I got a little renewed energy that that might happen. See my radar. I feel like my radar on this team was pretty good. Like I I called the lost ASU. But with this new change and like Drevno, I wasn't expecting the changes, so my radar is a little off. I, I got to recalibrate after this game. Boop, <laughs> boop, yeah, boop. Because now, now my gut, my gut was really strong heading into last week, but now no, it's what, a no, off. your gut's been terrible for the last three weeks. Excuse me, who predicted? I'm referring to your gut? actual gut. Oh, you've oh, been okay. sick for like three weeks, so yeah, yeah. No, my for real gut sucks, but my <laughs> football gut is great. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the difference. Um, finally. Clay Helton will be the head coach next season. I agree. Really? Yeah. I, uh. I because I as I said I think they're going three and one in the in the month and I think oh and four then yes he's definitely not going to be the coach but three and one definitely is going to be the coach if they go two and two then there's some more question marks especially if it's lost to UCLA and lost to Notre Dame then you might see him out but I don't think that's going to happen so I'm going to agree that he will be the coach. Okay. Yeah. Nah, okay, that's a logical standpoint Lynn Swan wants to stand behind him Lynn Swan doesn't want to make that change and as we talked about on our live show a lot there's that power vacuum there's no president right now everyone's kind of arguing for power I would say it's not like a true power struggle inside the athletic department and school and boosters and stuff but like no one wants to give up power so everyone's just trying to you know place themselves a little bit higher a little bit higher uh, I don't think there's like it's not like Godfather where someone's going to go around and kill all the bosses to to take over full power of everything that type of power struggle. But um, and but I think that everyone's just trying to inch their way up the the power uh, chain a little bit, and no one's going to give away power. So therefore, there's a, a little bit of vacuum because there's no one has the true power. Power. No one man should have all that power. Uh, except for me. 
Uh, individual. Yeah, I mean, I think Lynn Swan feeling like he needed to reaffirm and give a vote of confidence for Clay kind of tells you where things are at right now. Um, so I that don't. tells you where he stands, at least, that he yeah. wants to be yeah. behind Clay Hilton. Now, if you lose all four games by 30 points, that changes things a lot. Without a doubt. But at this point, he wants to be behind him. So that's why I agree that he will be the head coach next year. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Do you have any for me? Last week, you threw me a curveball. Nah, I tricked you up last week. Oh. <laughs> Moving on to questions. John Johnson. That's a fun name, John Johnson. John wrote, can the number of high in injuries be attributed to a lack of physical practices? The players aren't in hitting shape and don't practice physical techniques enough to avoid injuries. Obviously, some of the injuries are random bad luck. But if you learn how to be physical, use good t- technique and have the right training, doesn't that alleviate the injury problem? I don't know about alleviate, but I think they would be better off if the bodies were conditioned a little bit more for uh, for the contact and stuff. You know, If you're a boxer, you don't get into the ring for a fight and not have sparred. You know, you know, you have to know how to take a punch a little bit. And football, there's a lot of contact, so you have to be able to know how to take contact. You got to know, you know, you have to know to when to cover up your body a little bit and different things like that. Now, I don't say, think those are necessarily the answer for all the injuries they've had, but I think it wouldn't hurt um, if their bodies were a little more conditioned to the contact that they've received. Yeah, I think that your body gets used to a level of contact. And if you're the first time you're having full on contact is every Saturday, you have to brace up a little bit. You're not Mm -hmm. as as loose. I mean, you always bring up your playing days. I'm going to bring up my playing days. So in volleyball, we had to do a lot of like flips, diving, stuff like that, like hitting the ground. And I was out for like a week and a half. I came back and it just hurt. I was like, I cannot just fling myself to the ground right now and do some rolls. Like this just sucks. But like when you're in it, if you told me like I could just run at the floor and do like and know how to dive well and do all this stuff. But if you have time off, if you're not doing all the time, it hurts and you're not doing it well. Yeah. If I try to pitch now, like I'm sore for like four days in a row and or like four or five, six days in a row. Whereas, you know, in college you're throwing every day. So you're like, I'm good to go the next day or, you know, a day off or whatever it is. The body is an amazing thing. The human body is is one of the, the greatest wonders of the world because if you condition it enough, it will get used to it. That's why like people don't understand my sleep habit, habits. I sleep four to six hours most nights, but my body is used to it. Like I've Your body my, is used to a level of caffeine. That also helps, yeah. <laughs> and also because of the level of caffeine I intake, I have to give it more at certain times than you know some other people may. So it, because the body will adapt to things. The body is so adaptable, it's an amazing uh, thing that it does. Um, but that's the same thing with contact. The body will get used to and adapt to the level of contact that is used to it, but if you don't give it that at all, then you know, it's going to be different when you get hit, um, you know, a boxer can take a punch, like a, a boxer gets in a bar fight. He can take that punch a lot better than Joe Schmo who works in the office. That's a great analogy. Very true. Um, he also wants to know, are the habits of thud tackling coming into games, or is this a team of bad tacklers? Hmm, that's, a, that's a really good question it there. Um, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think when you thud all the time, you, you kind of expect a guy to go down at times. If you look at Arizona's the game, last week's game, a lot of the tackles look like thud. Yeah. It some, looked like some, you expected the missed tackles, mean, the yeah. missed tackles. Sure, yes. The missed tackles look like you expected the opponent to stop at first contact, which happens in thud. Now, let's get an analogy like a guy like Bubba Bolden. In high school, when Bubba Bolden hits a guy and he hits a wide receiver, and that wide receiver is a six foot guy that's 160 pounds or whatever it is, you know, that guy goes down. And Bubba Bolden is a big hitter, 
And he was used to doing that. And that was one of the things they worked on teaching him the last year, year plus, I guess, uh, before he left the program was that, hey, you got to wrap up. You got to wrap up. This isn't high school anymore. You can't just hit a guy and expect him to go down. And he saw that with Marquis Step in one of the fall practices. He comes up and lays a big hit on Marquis Step. Marquis Step like takes two steps back and like he uh, to convert the energy. He does a spin move, spins off of it, and runs for thirty yards. And they're like, "Bobo, you got to wrap up. You can't just hit." And that's something that you like if you're all the time is you're just hitting somebody and they go down. You expect them to go down. Same with if you're doing thud in practice, you hit them and you're like, "Okay, that's the end of the play." That's what you get used to. Same thing with the adaptability of the body is the same thing that your adaptability of the mind. You expect that person to be down, so you got to you got to teach that. It's going to be tackling. You got to take them all the way. Whether it's the dummies or whatever it is, you have to actually go to the ground with things to to get used to that. And yes, I so I think it's partly a thud. I don't think it's necessarily that it's like oh these guys are terrible tacklers, but they don't practice it a ton, so yeah. it doesn't help them in that regard. I think some of the guys like Cameron Smith is a terrific tackler. When, yes. when he gets his hands on you, you're pretty much going down. When he misses tackle it's like Deontay Burnett dropping a pass and you're like what what just happened what did what? I just see what I don't think I saw that correctly something's wrong with my eyes yeah so could you say that tackling is <laughs> you could say that in the Arizona State game for sure we, we got sound effects and I haven't had a good place to use it because you, you just don't know how to use it okay well whatever you take the sound effects for it next time okay finally they had, they had nine missed tackles in this game Let's Which see. is not anywhere close to what they had. It was the Utah game that 16, I think it was. Utah was rough. Yeah. So they did a little bit better than last week. Improvement, I guess. Finally, we have Stuck a... Stuck up. Stuck up? That's not true. No. Well, the difference is the Utah game, they were making a lot of hits and they were behind the line of scrimmage. So a guy would break a tackle, but there would be someone else there. Whereas this week, just like we talked about with the gap control of Pali and Atiote, someone would make that hit. There wasn't necessarily always someone there because there were some open gaps and stuff. So there, that's the difference. You mean, it looks like Arizona State, you're like, wow, they didn't tackle well, where they tackled better than they did against Utah. But because of the di- the difference is that there were multiple guys there. Was it Utah or maybe in Colorado they had that many? I don't remember. I'll look it up in a minute. Already. Well, we have one final question from our friend Joan. Uh, who says, Shockin' and Keeley, what are your personal opinions of how these minor changes eight games in will really affect play? Rumors have been abundant that Clay has called most of these games anyway. And lastly, I think the Callaway interview prior to the Arizona State game was embarrassing to USC. He seemed disoriented and unable to process the questions well. I know nothing about Oregon State as they are an afterthought. What are your thoughts? You know, I, I don't think uh, the change is bad. I think change at this point in the season was good because USC was not playing well. Um, I don't think the rumors were true about Clay Helton calling the plays. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier. But um, so I think this is a positive. The the team has responded well. When you have change, it's either going to be it's going to be a positive and you're going to react well to it, or it's going to be a negative and it's going to be you know even worse uh, afterwards. So when when things aren't going well and you make change, it's going one of two directions. I think based on the practices they that we saw this week and the kind of the what people have said that we talked to, it seems like they have a little bit more energy on that offensive side. I think it's going to be positive. I think the offense is going to come out and play pretty well. You know, now it's just up to the coaches to make some solid play calls and we'll see how they do. Yeah, I think it would be hypocritical for me to after all year saying that changes need to be made once changes are made to be like, well, it's too late. You know, like it changes are changes. And the fact that if it looks like as it does right now, that Clay Helton will be back next season, I think it should be encouraging for USC fans that Clay Helton has made moves that need to happen one, but are really hard to do. I like, we've talked about how Clay Helton has this loyalty gene 
and loyalty to a fault. And I thought that could carry over into next season if he returns. But the fact that Clay Helton shows that, okay, he's aware. He's aware of reality. He's aware of things that need to get fixed and things that need to be done is positive. So I think it's a good thing. Whether or not it makes a real impact on the last four games, I don't think is necessarily important. I think just the fact that there is a change can spark this team. And Shotgun has talked about it till he's been blue in the face that this team needs something that they can need to rally around. And I think this could be the thing that, hey, we have new life. We have rejuvenation uh, making a switch like this. Who knows? But I think that it's it was needed. Something needed to change. And, and I, going forward, this should be good for USC. Yeah, I think it's going to be positive for them. And I think the offense, we'll see for sure on Saturday. If the offense comes out and plays well, that tells you pretty much all you need to know about this group. And, I, it, hey, maybe it's the little, not necessarily a full turning point because this season, you know, the Pac-12 is pretty much out of the question unless Utah loses unexpectedly. So, I think it's a, a slow, you know, potential turning point for the program. If if uh, you know if if Clay Helton is the guy next year and they're going to get back, I think this could be a starting point for that. Now, will it be? We'll see. But I think it could be a, a turning point for the program. I I don't think. I feel like if Clay Helton surrounded himself with people who have experience and have a proven track record, I don't think Clay Helton can't be a head coach. You know, Ryan's talked about it. he loved the hires at Cal. When Justin Wilcox takes over the head coach, first time head coach, he, he aligned himself with former head coaches as his coordinators. Now, those are guys that could potentially take your job. So if you're not confident in yourself, then you could be setting yourself up for failure. Those guys, you know, eventually take your job from you. But I think you have to do that. If you're a first time coach, get guys around you. Now, Clay has. Former head coaches on staff, or he did with Neil Calloway. He had his dad around. His dad was, but those guys haven't coached recently. Uh, I would take, uh, I would get guys that are, are used to the players now. Um, and it's also there's a difference in you know style at UAB and Houston versus USC for sure. So if you could you know get a guy like Jeff Tedford, if he if he was available at the time when Justin Wilcox took over, you know that's a a great hire. Someone uh, you know someone of that vein who's you know coached at a you know a Pac-12 program before. If you can bring him in as a coordinator, that's great. Even if it, you know, they, you know, a guy like uh, North Turner in the NFL, terrible head coach, but one of the best offensive coordinators there is. If you can get a guy like that who's really good as a coordinator, but uh, you know hasn't been had success as a head coach, then that's that's terrific for you because then they can also tell you like, hey, this didn't work for me, this did work for me as a head coach type of thing. Uh, I think you know it's like any CEO of a company. The CEO can be the smartest person ever, but if everyone under him is terrible at their jobs, that company ain't doing nothing. However, the CEO can be you know, not great, but if he has great people around him, they can help boost him to new heights. So I think that's similar with Clay Helton, whereas he's a young head coach. Um, you know, He hasn't, doesn't have a ton of experience. If he surrounds himself with the right people, this team could go in the right direction, definitely. Agreed, especially with the talent that USC has. You don't need that much to drive a Ferrari forward. Just get a, an experienced driver. Yeah, you just got to get someone who knows how to drive a manual. True. Where everybody, it seems like everybody on this with this offense is like, I don't know what to do with the stick thing in the middle. <laughs> why is it? Why does it not go from P to D? I don't get it. <laughs> 
Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for the podcast. Uh, one quick thing: the, oh. the missed tackles. USC had nine missed tackles against Arizona State, sixteen against Utah, nine against Colorado. Do you really remember any of the missed tackles against Colorado? No, because they won and they were there multiple guys a lot of times. Even with Utah, you know they were blown out, but it wasn't like there was these eighty-yard plays. You know, these big, long forty-six-yard run, this forty-five-yard run to finish things off. Whereas you know this game, it seemed like you know there was no one there to help out when one, one tackle was missed. Agreed. Uh, you predict a USC blowout win? Yeah, I do. I do too. We'll see. I, as I said, my radar is off, so we'll see how this <laughs> my recalibration goes. I think it's the intestinal issues that throwing you off. That's true. My gut all over the place. <laughs> but that's Shotgun. I'm Keely. Thanks for listening to the Family Feud Podcast. We'll see you next week.